Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. We are in part three of our sanctuary series. The first part basically was a teaser sermon, just to ask the question, what did the psalmist see in the sanctuary that he saw their end, right? The psalmist was distraught. The psalmist was wondering why the wicked prosper. So much so that the psalmist almost lost his way. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. When we accept Christ, right? And then the second week was about the burnt offering, how our sins have crucified our Savior. And when we accept Christ, we begin a relationship with God, and it begins to differentiate ourselves from the unbeliever. At the beginning, it doesn't seem like there is a difference between the believer and the unbeliever. In fact, if you look at the thief of the cross and you were his friends, you would think that he was lost. But when he accepted Christ there hanging on the cross of Christ, he was saved forevermore. And yet, however, when we accept Christ now, there begins a separation to take place. You may not see it. In fact, when Paul, who was previously called Saul the murderer, when he had been uh, confronted by Christ there on the road to Damascus, so much so was his reputation that preceded him as a murderer that Ananias, who was sent from God to clear his eyesight, was afraid to go. He was afraid because at that moment when Paul had accepted Jesus Christ, there was not a history that he had accepted him as his Lord and Savior. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever was not yet known in the life of Paul. And so when you accept Christ, People may not see the difference right away. People may not see that you have changed, that your priorities are different. They may still see you as the old person that you were. But as you walk with Christ, and the longer you walk with Christ, the separation begins to take place the deeper we go into the sanctuary. But the beauty of it is that the choice is yours because although the invitation comes from God, He will not force you to take any steps with Him that you do not want to take. He invites you to go deeper into the sanctuary. He invites you to go deeper into a relationship with Christ. But once again, I'll repeat, He will not force you to take any steps that you do not want to take. So the invitation is there. The invitation is yours. You can take that long walk of repentance as we highlighted last week into the sanctuary of God to start the plan of salvation. Accepting Jesus Christ begins that plan of salvation. And so today we go in a step further into the sanctuary. We go into what is known as the holy place and where you'll find three articles in the holy place. And I want us to 
look at them based on the Old Testament. So I ask you, ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 37. The book of Exodus, chapter 37. We're going to read it. It seems like perhaps slow reading. There's a lot of detail. But we want to point certain things out. And so I ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 37. Beginning in verse 10, speaking of the construction of the wilderness sanctuary, he says, then he made the table of acacia wood, two cubits long and a cubit wide and one and a half cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold and made a gold molding for it all around. He made a rim for the hand breadth all around and made a gold molding for its rim all around. He cast four gold rings for it and put rings on the four corners that were on its four feet. Close by the rim were the rings, the holder of the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold to carry the table. He made the utensils which were on the table, its dishes, its pans, and its bowls, and its jars, in which to pour out drinks, offerings of pure gold. So you can imagine this this table where there were 12 loaves of bread which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was in this dark tent where there was no light until we get to the lampstand. But it was all dark and yet it was overlaid with pure gold. It had a symbolism and it represented something which we'll see here in a little bit. Then you get to Verses 17 through 24, then he made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered work. Its base and its shaft, its cups, its bulbs, and its flowers were of one piece. So you can imagine one piece of gold hammered into its structure of seven lampstands. Once again, all overlaid with gold, with oil. And that lamb, as long as the sanctuary was up before they had to move, was always lit with oil that the priests would put in it. And then you get to the altar of incense in verses 25 to 29. Then he made the altar of incense of acacia wood, a cubit long and a cubit wide and square and two cubits high. Its horns were of one piece with it. And he overlaid it with pure gold, its top and its sides all around and its horns. And he made a gold molding for it all around. Verse 29, and he made the holy anointing oil and the pure fragrant incense of spices, the work of a perfumer. So when they burned this incense, which represented the prayers of the saints, it had this smooth smelling, beautiful aroma. And so you can imagine because the wilderness sanctuary wasn't that big, you had this sanctuary inside all overlaid with pure gold. And then you have the light of the lampstand. It was brilliant and bright, and it had a beautiful smelling aroma. And remember we learned last week that when the sacrifices were made, they were like a smooth smelling aroma to our God. When we do what is right, when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, to the God the Father, the Godhead, looks at that as a, as a parent sees their child behave properly and do the right things to love justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. It's like a proud parent seeing their child operate. 
And so these three things were there. But what's interesting about these three, three items, the table of showbread, the lampstand, and the altar of incense, is that Jesus attributed these pieces of the sanctuary to himself. When he enters a scene, when he is walking amongst humanity, when he is preaching and teaching the gospel to those who were hearing his voice, the voice of God veiled in human flesh, he attributes these very items to himself. And so you can look them up, but we'll have them on the screen. Then Jesus declared there in the courtyard to all those who were listening, he declares to them, I am the bread of life. The very bread in the sanctuary, in the showbread, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And we're not just talking about physical hunger and physical thirst, but that yearning to understand what the newspaper tell us is what's happening. But only God can tell us why, and only God can satisfy what is happening. Your innermost longing, your innermost thoughts, when you, when you think about the greater things in life, of the why things happen, why the injustices in this world, only when you walk deeper into the sanctuary do you realize that Jesus Christ is what can sustain you in the madness of this world. When many people want to give up, when many people do give up, when many people become cynical, when, they, when, the, when the increase of iniquity rises, the love of many will want to wax cold. Jesus Christ, the bread of life, can sustain you in the peace of God. He is the bread of life. But not only is he the bread of life, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And as we get closer to the end, the Bible tells us men's hearts will be failing them for fear, for they do not know what is about to come upon them. The love of many will grow cold because iniquity will abound. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in what? In darkness. But will have the light of life. Many of us question what's happening in this country during this pandemic. Wherever you stand, there are questions to be asked. There are questions to be pondered, answers that we're looking for. We've been told all our lives as Christians that the last days, things are going to be getting worse. And brothers and sisters, we see them not only because of pandemics and fires and earthquakes, but because of the intolerance of humanity to share ideas, to paint pe people differently and to divide and try to smear people. We begin to see the intolerance of people and the loss of freedom. But Jesus says, you don't have to worry about the darkness, for I am the light of the world. Follow me and you'll never walk in darkness. Oh, they may be dark days, but you'll always see the light of Jesus Christ leading you. And although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for the light of Jesus Christ will lead me. In a couple of instances, we will see real-life scenarios where this makes a difference. 
And then there is the altar of incense. In the news or in the invitation for prayer meeting Friday nights, there was a couple of quotes there. And the one I love from Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not prepare you for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And Jesus has promised us this. He says, Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's interceding for you. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult life is, he is interceding for you. But remember this, when we were looking at the sanctuary, you had to freely come and bring the lamp. You had to freely come and slay the lamb. But the priest, which also represents Jesus Christ, because one earthly symbol could not represent Christ. He's, he is your lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But he's also your high priest. And unless you came with your lamb, and unless you came with your lamb and brought it and, and slayed it and gave it to the high priest, only the high priest can take your blood into the holy place. And so you begin to see the separation between the believer and the unbeliever. The unbeliever can't get into the holy place because only the high priest can take your forgiven sins into the holy place. And now the difference begins to take place. And many people are losing hope in society today because they don't have the bread of life to sustain them and the light of the world in Jesus praying on their behalf. Not because he doesn't want to, but because he's not going to force himself upon anybody. And they have chosen not to accept it. Let's turn to Psalm 73, beginning in verse 15. Remember when we were in Psalm 73 at the beginning of this first message, the psalmist had almost lost his way. His feet had almost stumbled because he was envious of the wicked. He looked in his moment of despair and in his loss of perspective, he looked at the wicked and said, look, nothing bad ever happens to them. They live the greatest life possible. But is that true? You know, you can look at a lot of things in a distorted way when your perspective has been removed from the cross of Jesus Christ. When you don't look at everything in light of the cross, your perspectives are skewed. When you don't look at everything in the light of the cross, dark becomes light and light becomes darkness. Up becomes down and down becomes up. Your whole world is distorted. And so the psalmist, in verse 15, he says, If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God and then I perceived their end. And then he says in verse 18, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. Continue to read with me. When my heart was embittered, he admits his perspective was wrong. His heart was embittered. I was pierced within. Then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. 
With your counsel, you will guide me. And afterward, receive me in glory. And my favorite Bible promise is, you will never leave me nor forsake me. Even when I'm acting the fool, he will guide me if I surrender. Verse 25. Whom whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. Are you there? Like the song said, all he wants is your heart. He doesn't want your talent. He's the most talented. He doesn't want your money. He's the richest. He doesn't want your leadership. He's the greatest leader. He wants your heart. And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will what? Perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of all your work. The psalmist, after coming into the sanctuary, is reminded to reorientate his life back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Upon the shadow of the cross, he begins to see the reality. The wicked don't have it as good as many times we perceive. Because the wicked in society only show us when it's going good. When things for the wicked are going great, when things are healthy, when things are beautiful, when things are good. When things go the way of the wicked, they really don't show us, do they? I want to share a couple of examples, some from the Bible, some are true, some are sobering. It's a somber thought. But I do want to make this disclaimer. As wicked as the lives have been that I'm about to show you, who have lived contrary to the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches, I cannot, even despite their wicked lives, can say where they will spend eternity. And here's why. Because the thief on the cross, from all perspective outside of that cross, his friends and his family would have perceived him by his wicked life to have been lost. But even then, in our dying breath, if there is a cry out to our Savior, he is merciful and just, and if that cry out is sincere, even if it's in your last breath, he is just and able to forgive you of your sins. Because he can save to the uttermost. So please don't take that as a judgment that these people are lost, except for the first example. Peter and Judas. They're twin brothers, theologically, in a sense. They both learned by Christ. They were disciples of Christ. They walked three and a half years with Christ. They did miracles by the power of Christ. They ministered by the power of Christ. Both betrayed Christ, but only one truly surrendered. Only one, when he was broken, realized he needed his brokenness healed by the only one who can do it. The one who can enter into the sanctuary of God, and that is Jesus Christ. Judas, on the other hand, only saw that he had messed up and could not see a forgiving Savior. 
He wanted a conquering king, and so his heart never accepted a forgiving king. And Judas took life into his own hands and hung himself because he could not see beyond the darkness he created. He did not accept the light of the world or have the strength of the bread of life because Jesus prayed for Peter that when you betray me, I want you to come back and strengthen your brothers. In that prayer, in that statement, was a realization that Jesus' prayer was going to be answered for Peter. But he did not only pray for Peter, he prayed for all 12 of them. But Jesus wasn't going to force Judas. And Judas took the matter into his own hand. And the Bible tells us he is lost because he refused to enter into the holy place to accept Jesus as our intercessor, to accept Jesus as the light of the world, and to accept Jesus as the bread of life. But the sanctuary is not only their end, but it's our hope. Peter found forgiveness in the bread of life. Peter found forgiveness in the light of the world. Peter found forgiveness in the prayer of Jesus Christ. Two people walking the same line. But when the separation took place, one had Jesus and the other one did not. Then you think of the persecuted Christians in Afghanistan. Right now, in this year. Scott Griswold and Reach the World Next Door. If you are part of his mailing list, you've been getting the information. People whose lives of now, today, in this day and age, are being threatened simply because they follow the light of the world. People who are having to hide, hide their, delete their phones or get rid of their phones, get rid of their Bibles, because if they're found with them, they're going to be killed. People trying to flee from a country. But people who understand that even if I have to die for Christ, like Revelation 12, 11 tells us, they love not their lives even when faced with death. Because they understand that when we have Jesus, we can endure all things. There's a book called Fox Book of Martyrs, if you've never read it. It's fascinating stories of martyrdom throughout the centuries, throughout the dark ages. And there's one in particular that stands out to me that I want to share with you. There was two men about to be burned at the stake. And one of them was a stronger faith than the other. They both had faith, but one was more secure in his faith. And they were going to burn the one with the stronger faith first in order to intimidate the one with the weaker faith. And so the one with the weaker faith tells the one with the stronger faith, when the fiery flames begin to consume you, give me a sign that you can endure and that God is with you. And the man of stronger faith says to him, look for the sign, for it's sure to come. This Thursday, or this Friday, I tased myself by mistake. We walk around the lake in case of a stray dog. We make the noise, and it's usually enough for the dog to run away. But I was trying to fix it and messing around, and I tased myself, and I still feel it in my finger. 
Can you imagine the fiery flames? So the man with the weaker faith is looking and the flames are rising. He keeps looking and the flames are rising. The man is tied up to the stake. The flames keep rising. The sign does not come and the man's body is beginning to burn. The man of the weaker faith is beginning to doubt whether this is all worth it. The body, as the Book of Martyrs describes it, begins to be charred. The man of faith, the weaker faith, is looking on. Then finally, when he was about to give up all hope, the man's body all charred beyond human belief that any sign could be given at that time, the charred body gets on his knees, lifts up his arms, and cries out glory to God. Man in a weaker faith looks at his executioners and puts out his hands and says, I'm ready. My question is, how? If I could still feel that taze on my finger, how could it be that the fiery flames can destroy somebody and yet in faith they remain singing in faith they remain faithful to God there's only one way the grace of God the light of the world the bread of life our intercessor is giving them grace and peace in that moment when your darkest days are coming the only way you can survive is by having the peace of Jesus Christ that passes all understanding And so those Christians in Afghanistan, they need our prayers because they're facing it right now. What you and I will one day face when we understand the prophecies, they're facing right now. And so now to the three youth that I spoke in class, I want you to get your smartphones ready. I asked them to look something up for me and I'm going to ask them if they found it. But I want to ask you, and I want the youth to look up, 27 Club, the number 27 Club. Have anybody ever heard of 27 Club? Two people. Now, I don't believe in conspiracy theories, but there are things that make you go, hmm. I asked math, I mean, not Matthew, Andrew, as a mathematician, if I flip a coin and there's heads or tails, what are the odds of you getting heads? 50-50, right? Two sides. However, I asked Andrew this. If I have over 30, close to 50 times I flip the coin and it lands heads, without you knowing the math, right away you would know something suspicious. For me to flip a coin 50 times in a row and have it land heads, what was the probabilities, Andrew, as you told me? One to like the 30th power, right? Or 50th power. Yeah. If it's 30 times, one to the 30th. The number's astronomical. So this 27 Club is made up of famous people. Here are some of them. Here you have Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, um, what's her name? Amy Winehouse, Jim Morrison. 
But there's more than 50 of, in, of these people who live that rock and roll lifestyle, who live a lifestyle denying God's drugs, sex, and rock and roll, who all died at the age of 27. Now, if you look at the Wikipedia article, did you guys find it? Right? If you look at the Wikipedia article, they will say there's no statistical anomaly of them dying at 27. And that's fine. That's not the point. But two stories I want to highlight, the death of Kurt Cobain and Amy Winehouse. Those who wrote their biography had an interview with their mom, Kurt Cobain's mom. And now there's a dispute as to what is authentic and what is not. But the mom is quoted as saying, Kurt went on and joined that stupid club. And so a lot of people think it's Club 27, that he did it on purpose, that he committed suicide on purpose to be part of this club. Others say that it was the fact that his uncles, two of his uncles, had committed suicide in the past. And that he joined that club regardless whether he was to join this Club 27 or, or his uncles committing suicide. My question is, what would bring you to the point where you feel so helpless and so lost and so here? Think about it. And, and I pick on, you, on, on famous people only because all of us may know them. But from an earthly perspective, they have everything you would think an earthly person would want. Fame, money, power, prestige, notoriety. They would have everything you would think would make you happy on earth. Big houses, nice cars. If you're a man or a woman, any spouse you want. But when you don't have Jesus, you can have this whole world. But you have nothing. And then you look at the other movie stars. Right? The lifestyles of the rich and famous. It was a TV show when I was growing up. They paint them up as, as the best as you can be. But the higher you go up in income, the more there is mental issues. Think of Robin Williams. Made us all laugh. Suicide. Think of Whitney Houston, grew up in the church. Dies drug overdose. Remember I said we don't know where they're going to spend eternity, but we don't know what their last second thoughts were. But their lives live contrary. And one an artist, uh, an actor who I used to like watching a show, Will Smith, if you read about him recently, talking about that his Christian upbringing, the marriage was between a man and a woman in monogamy, is no, he realizes it's no longer true, and that him and his wife now have an open marriage because the Bible is out there. There is no peace without God. There is no strength to sustain you without God. Without the bread of life, without his word guiding you, without the light of his Holy Spirit guiding you to understand the word of God, without God's intercession, the separation begins and it ends in horror without God. 27 Club, if you looked it up, it's over 50 people at the age of 27. Most of them by suicide. And Amy Winehouse, I was sharing this with some youth on a Sabbath as well. This happened years ago. I get home, my wife is out with the kids. 
But I get home and I get a phone call from one of the youth. And the date's in Club 27, so you can look it up. This was in Baytown, by the way. And they asked me the question. Guess who died? Amy Winehouse. Guess what age she was? 27. What makes Amy Winehouse's story interesting, she died of alcohol poisoning, is that in her articles, and you can see it in the Wikipedia article, she had feared three years before of dying at the age of 27. And when did she die? 27. Why that number? Some say it has a cult meaning, but I'm not getting into that. The point being is, the wicked don't, like the psalmist said at the beginning of the psalm, the wicked don't live long days and prosperous days and nothing goes wrong with them. Here we have a slew of individuals, and I can pick a whole bunch more, who died horrific deaths, who died in fear, because they didn't have the one who can keep them from being afraid. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The progression of the priest, which is Jesus Christ, having you accepted him, brings you in. And his word sustains you when you can't go on anymore. His light of the Holy Spirit guides you when you need guidance. And his prayers are there to make sure you stay faithful on the path of victory. The Father sits in the most holy place, which we will see next week. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to get into the holy of holies where the Father is? Accept Jesus Christ in your life. Money won't be, bring satisfaction. Fame won't bring satisfaction. A music career won't bring satisfaction. Power won't bring satisfaction. Being the president of the most powerful nation won't bring satisfaction. The only thing that will bring satisfaction is a personal faith-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Take me into the Holy of Holies. How? By the blood of the Lamb. If you want wisdom, strength, and the answer to prayers, you must come into the sanctuary of God. You must come to Jesus, something the wicked don't have. They've never started the engine to the plan of salvation. And next time, next week, we will see the ultimate fate of the wicked that the psalmist has mentioned. And we will see their end. And we will see our final hope. We will see what God has in store for those who have trusted him. But it goes beyond death in this life. There is an end that I don't want to partake of. And the only way to avoid that end is to have our hearts surrendered to the only one who can take us into the holy place. And his name is Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org 
and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.